This evening's reading is Mark 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks... He broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said, to the, that, set, said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmathia. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with each other the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Thank you, James. Now you'll see it's not two Corinthians and it's not J. Uh, Jay Tukil uh, today, and uh, I am uh, standing in for him. So bear with me. Uh, that's not an indication of time. It's uh, an indication of coherence. We're going to do something this evening very simple, and I hope helpful. We're going to look at the middle of Mark's gospel, the pivot point of faith for Peter and the other disciples. And I'm going to address this to the two of you, Eleanor and Olivia, at this pivot point in your life. Now, James read to us the account of the feeding of the 4,000 
It is the second miraculous feeding miracle, preceded in Mark's Gospel, as it is in Luke and Matthew and John, by the feeding of the 5,000. They are extraordinary, astonishing displays of the divine on the part of Jesus Christ. And you would think that the disciples, those who were close companions of Jesus, after the first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, when set the task of feeding the 4,000, would know what to do. But as James read, it becomes absolutely clear to us, especially in their journey in the boat after the miracle. Uh, Jesus said, how how many baskets were there? And they count up on their fingers. It's like primary school. Seven. And he would expect them to say, we understand who you are. How many were the last time? Twelve. And the, the dialogue in the board and the narrative in our gospel comes to a crunch point. Do you still not understand? Now you spoke, both of you, of all the things that you were blessed with in your life. Christians who spoke the gospel to you. Camps that you went on. Coming to university, finding a church. But none of that, none of that is the reason for your conversion. These are the means God used. But were it not for a miracle, a supernatural miracle, the intervention of God from heaven to earth in your lives, you would not understand. Now that thrills your heart in the sense of God is implicitly involved in you as he is in every conversion. And for us all and many of us struggle in our evangelism. It is not down to our rhetoric nor our persuasion. You can read through Mark's gospel, miracle after miracle after miracle, pointing to the identity of Jesus. And unless God opens blind eyes, people will not understand. And that is our liberation in evangelism. Do you still not yet understand? Now let's read on in Mark. Have your Bibles open in front of you. We're just going to read on through this pivot point in the gospel uh, and it's going to come up on the screen. Well done, Alan. Chapter 8, verse 22. It's going to take a miracle to understand who Jesus is. It always does. So let's read on. They came to Bethsaida And some people brought to him a blind man, a man who could not see, and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, imagine if you were listening to this, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So at the first touch of Jesus, he could only partially see. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Two touches from the Lord Jesus, and his eyes are fully opened. He sees everything clearly. And he sent him to his home 
saying, do not even enter the village. And I'll explain why he said that to the man in a minute. Now, in Mark's gospel, that miracle really happened. But what Mark is doing in his gospel, he's following up this impossible problem. Do you still not understand? In his gospel, with a miracle, where a blind man's eyes are opened with two touches from the Lord Jesus. Let's read on in Mark's gospel. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And you will get these answers if you ask people, who do you say Jesus is? He might be a great teacher. He might be a prophet, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, he said, Peter, or Eleanor, or Olivia, who do you say that I am? Now, how did this answer come to Peter? Because God opened his blind eyes. Just like Jesus touched that blind man, and he could see. And when you became a Christian, Eleanor and Olivia, your testimony speaks of a gradual coming to faith, just like this. Maybe you couldn't see everything clearly at first. But behind your conversion, behind the testimonies, the stories, the camps, the rest of it, your mom and dad is a miracle from heaven. And out of Peter's mouth, the one who a few moments ago had counted up on his fingers, one, two, three, was it seven? Counted up on the other hand, was it 12? Suddenly says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, God's promised King. That's a miraculous revelation. And Jesus said, don't tell anyone about me. Why did he say that? Why on earth would he say to somebody who has just seen by miraculous intervention that Jesus is the Christ not to tell anyone? Why did he say to the man not to tell anyone? Because Peter has not yet fully understood. Let's read on. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In other words, yes, Jesus is the Messiah King, but he is also the suffering servant. And you've got to grasp that before you're let loose to do evangelism. Verse 32, Jesus said this plainly. And Peter who had just had his eyes partially opened by a miracle from heaven and confessed the wonderful truth that Jesus is the Messiah King, began to rebuke Jesus. No, you're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. That's not my vision, my conception of your Messiahship. Returning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, and these words are very strong, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
You see, Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah was only one part of the revelation that he needed to fully understand who Jesus is. He needed another touch from Jesus. He needed his eyes opened so he could not just see trees like people walking. He needed to see with clarity. He needed to see what you two have come to see, that your Christ had to give his life for you to forgive your sins. Let's go on. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Now, it's all laid bare in this central part of the gospel. What is a true Christian? A true Christian is someone who sees clearly that Jesus is the Messiah King, the long-promised Messiah. A real and a true Christian is someone who sees that the Messiah King is also the Son of Man who must suffer and die and be raised again. And the real Christian is someone, and this is the sobering part for you too, and us all, who is called to follow after Jesus Christ as a servant and a sufferer if need be for his sake. To count nothing in this life worth Christ. To give your life for Christ, this side of eternity. Not to be ashamed of him, lest he be ashamed of us when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And that is what you two are willing to do, and you are not ashamed of Jesus. That does not mean to say you will not have shame as you speak of him, for to speak of him is hard and difficult. But you love him, and he died for you. A few weeks ago, we buried an old lady in Chalmers who made Isabel Miller look young. Mary was in her 101st year. We have long livers here. Mary became a Christian in her 80s. And she came alive to the gospel. Her husband, I hope and pray, became a Christian as he lay dying on the last two days of his life. And he began to recite as he lay dying after years and years of heedlessness to Christ. His last words that he repeated like a mantra, what good is it, 
for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul. What a wonderful discovery you two have made in your young years. What good is it for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? You have made a decision for Jesus Christ. He has opened your eyes. He's opened your eyes to see that he is your Christ, your Messiah, that he suffered and died to forgive your sins. And he has opened your eyes and opened your hearts so that you are willing to follow him by taking up your cross. Now, that will not be easy. But we pray for you and for many here that the years that lie ahead of you will be fruitful for God's glory and in his service. Now, let's go back to Peter. Think of Peter here. He'd gone from this wonderful confession, you are the Christ, to hear the Lord Jesus say, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of this world. It matters that much to Jesus that we understand. I imagine Peter slinking back from the other disciples. And then in our final reading, and I hope this encourages the two of you and all of us, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And reading on, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Why did he take Peter and James and John? Well, because Peter was struggling. He was reeling. And James and John, if we read on to Mark 10, they were arguing about who would get the best seats in glory. He doesn't take them because they're the special three. He takes them because they're the ordinary three. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And what they saw was Jesus in his full, resplendent, divine, kingly glory, as he is now in heaven, and as he will return at the end of this age. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus, the two big guns from the Old Testament. And Peter said to Jesus, he had no idea what was going on, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. That's a lovely phrase. That's when you say something when you have no idea what to say. It's great this, Jesus. Let us make three tents. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get a tent or a tabernacle or an old-fashioned uh, temple for Moses, for Elijah, because he feels that if he is in the presence of God, he'll be destroyed. In truth, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. Now, for you two tonight, and for all of us as Christians, the voice from heaven as you look at the glorified Christ, and we're studying Hebrews on Sunday mornings, as you think of Christ in glory at the right hand of God, as you look at the transfigured, glorified Christ, look at him in your mind's eye on that mountain in his radiant glory, so powerful, so holy, so pure, that you want to wrap him up lest you get zapped in his presence. As you look at him, a voice comes out of the cloud, this 
looking at him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to what? Listen to what he has just said. What has he just said? I must die for you. And I want you to take up your cross and follow me all the days of your life. Look at him in his glory and listen to him charging you and us to live for him. Let me finish with this. The first thing that I said tonight and the first thing in Mark uh, chapter 8 is that it takes a miracle for anyone to see who Jesus is. So don't hear that. Listen to him. Take up your cross. Serve him. Follow him all the days of your life. Don't listen to that as an imperative. Listen to that as the outworking of the grace of God in your life. It took a miracle to save you. It will take a miracle to change you. It will take a miracle to use you. But that miracle, that miraculous promise of the Lord Jesus is with you and with all Christians until they are in glory. Now remember tonight, remember your baptism. Remember the sermon that never was. Remember that it took a miracle for you to see that heaven opened your heart, heaven opened your eyes. Remember that he opened your eyes to see who he was and what he will do for you, why he died for you. And remember as you look at him on the mountain of transfiguration that he called you to follow him every day of your life. So give your life to him and his grace will use you and bless you and bless us and bless many others through you both. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that these simple truths from Mark's gospel, that it takes a miracle to see who Jesus is, that faith comes not instantly for most of us, but gradually, as our eyes are opened bit by bit, that we come to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah King, that we come to understand that he must die for us to forgive our sins and be raised to give us life, that the Holy Spirit cannot come into us unless he died and was raised and is seated in heaven. And that he calls us to follow him in servant-hearted, sacrificial service. And what a costly call that is. But the Lord Jesus in his mercy took Peter and James and John and all of us in our hearts and minds eye up that mountain of transfiguration where he was revealed to them in all his resplendent, divine, glorious power. And as we gaze on him and wonder at his majesty and long to see him face to face as we will see him like that, that voice, your voice, our Father, breaks into this moment and says, Luke, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. May we be men and women who in the midst of all the siren noises of this world listen to Jesus as he speaks through his word.
Listen to him calling us. Whoever comes after me must take up his cross and follow me. What good is it to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? What a joy to spend our years on this earth serving Christ. Lord, we pray as we close that for Eleanor and Olivia, this night will be special to them. That they will remember and that we will remember for Jesus' sake. Amen.